Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. I've just noticed something, Laurie, and we always have our chat before we come on air. And then the minute you go, hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, you go into broadcast mode. I just noticed that. Don't we all do that, Mark? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, touche, touche. But the, the yeah, you, you you're a bit slower and more pronounced. You, you your your audio etiquette is excellent. Thank you very much. And w- we are joined uh, again by a guest. I'm <gasps> delighted to be joined by uh, a former Hearts player and a Hearts Cup winner and Australian international, Mr. Ryan McGowan. Oh, good evening, fine fellows. Oh, hello, hello darling. Oh, your, your voice has definitely changed. <laughs> That's his normal voice now. No, I was just trying to keep up with this good etiquette and all that stuff, but oh. thank you for having me on the show, boys. Thank yes. you thank you for joining us. I believe you are um, over in these shores at the moment? Yeah, yep, over in Edinburgh at the minute. I was um, very lucky to have a, a beautiful daughter last week, so um, she came last Sunday. So it's been congratulations. Very good. Thank you very much. Very good. The last week um, settling in and um, yeah, probably been in Scotland from maybe last six, seven weeks. Um, so it's been good getting the, the lead up to the to the birth and then having a couple of weeks with her now that she's here. Well, I'll, I'm going to fight in with a question because we have got questions from people on Twitter. We put this out there and one straight away was from someone called Planet Jamie and says, I'm sure I saw you the other day at Haymarket. Are you coming back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have probably been me. Yeah, so um, I've got a place in town. So Haymarket's my, yeah, just down the road, really. So, um, yeah, a few people have double taked a couple of times um, in and out of the city. But, um, yeah, it's been good. I always enjoy coming back and um, yeah, always seem to bump into Hearts fans everywhere. But but dodging the question, you're you're obviously not coming back, though, are you? Not yet. You you're you have a, a commitment and a contract over in Australia. Yeah, yes, I'm under contract, so I'm back in in Edinburgh, but I'm um, under contract for another year at Sydney FC. And then you'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that one. No, um, yeah, who knows what what's around the corner? But I'm currently very happy at Sydney. I, I have to say, right I, ha- I have to say, Ryan, <laughs> your your answers um, are are excellent. They don't give much away. Have you had media training? <laughs> yeah, we we're just talking about that off air. I'll I'll lead into that. But yeah, we we're just talking about how um, we're all together. Must have been, I must have only been seventeen or eighteen, yep. and um, yeah, it was. I, th- I thought it was a thoroughly good idea back in the day. I think Claire Cowan organised it, and um, it was a whole under nineteen squad had to go in and do. Um, I think it was. You can correct me if I'm wrong. It was um, newspaper journalists. There was mm-hmm. a press conference after a game, and then there was a live TV type thing. Um, and Hearts got in a couple of journalists, local journalists, to to ask questions. And you're kind of given like a scenario before. Um, yeah, and then they spoke about that game. And and the reason they did that was because they would then write like fake headlines or, or write about you and how you went. And it was you know what would be in the papers the following day and um, just to really um, just little things that you probably didn't think about as a 17, 18, 19 year old. Um, but never knowing that, you know, the following week you could play for hearts or you could play for your, your club and, and be thrust in front of that. And what you do say can, can probably stay with you for a long, long time. So I thought it was a, a really good idea. And, um, you know, everywhere that I've went, 
I'm pretty sure at Sydney, I've, I've told Sydney, I think we do it there. Um, you know, with the young boys, it is so important how they come across in the media. And I think the more training, the better for them. Well, you and, and your brother Dylan were part of that. Um, and when when we did the radio part, you guys obviously got it. There were others. I remember Sean, one of Sean Kelly's answers. Sean <laughs> Kelly was a young Irish defender from Donegal. And I, I, again, I'm not, this is potentially what happened. It's not word for word. Um, but it was along the lines of you've just beaten Hibs, you've scored the winning goal. One of their players was having a go at you pre-match. What do you say to him now? I think the answer was along the lines of get it right up you. <laughs> he kind of had to be told, no, Sean, that might make one or two back page headlines. <laughs> yeah, but no, it is good for, for that type of thing. And um, yeah, I think they should do more often, uh, more of it because... Some players think that the media can be against them and, and some fans believe everything word for word. So a little bit of training and a little bit of um, tricks of the trade could go a long way you know, for, for your career and it's something that you hopefully don't look back on and you know, a newspaper article or a back page can stay with you for a long, long time. So it's um, good to, to know those things before going into it. So we will talk about what's been going on with uh, Mr McGowan recently and of course we'll talk about his time at Hearts and a few other things and we've got plenty of questions to throw at him as well over maybe the next hour or so. So first up Ryan, um, you are uh, now with Sydney FC, uh, top of the league. Um, what's the situation over there just now? Because obviously like most leagues, um, you've stopped playing but I think there has been discussions about coming back at some point and restarting uh, where the season left off, is that right? Yeah, so we we played a couple of games behind closed doors um, to try and you know sustain and finish the season because we were so close. I think we've only got six games left, so we um, they came up with a plan to try and cram those games in. I think it was like a five week plan where they um, try to play a game every couple of days. But obviously, with everything that happened and and how quickly it changed in Australia with the flight restrictions and then it. Um, it was like borders, so you couldn't actually fly to away games. It just became more and more difficult. So, um, yeah, we've, we've been off since, but the, the plan is to finish uh, finish off last season. So I think it's about five games for most teams. And then uh, we have a final series in Australia um, and complete that final series. But um, it looks like most of it will probably be played behind closed doors. Um, and then, yeah, probably start next season um, towards the end of of this calendar year or, or the start of the next calendar year when they believe the fans will be allowed back into the stadiums. The last game you played was against your brother, wasn't it? The Western City yeah. in a one-all draw. There was a Sydney derby, which was, um, yeah, they've got a new stadium, which is which is pretty good. A big 30,000, 40,000-seater um, purpose-built stadium. So it was really good. We played them at the start of the season. And it was a sellout and then played them in the last game behind closed doors and it was... Um, yeah, it was eerie. It just it lost all of its. It like the the game was still relatively good, but it's just it's nothing compared to to the real thing. And um, you know, I think when I read stuff about Scotland playing the games behind closed doors and things like that, I think it just loses all its. Yeah, I, I just don't see the benefit in it in any way, shape, or form, really. What's the rivalry rivalry like then? Is it quite fierce between those two? Yeah, yeah, it's quite fierce. There's a, so Sydney's involved in a couple of them. We have the, the Western Sydney derby, which is, um, yeah, that's probably the fiercest. Or it's, it's right up there. Um, you know, we get great crowds. Um, they have the, like, active support. So it's um, Western Sydney's got a quite good active support along with us. Um, so, yeah, you know, they're right behind us. 
uh, both games that we've played before the the bands were full um, sellout. So it's been it's been really good. And um, then we got another one against Melbourne Victory. Um, so yeah, we were involved in a couple of derbies, a couple of interstate derbies. But um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it so far. It's it's, it's good atmosphere. It's maybe not up there in terms of like the hatred or the you know pure dislike um, <laughs> of like Hearts and Hibs or the the old firm. But you know they're definitely very passionate over there um, about their football for sure. What's it like um, coming up against your brother in a game like that? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's probably more heated when we play FIFA, but because we're so far away from each other, it's, it's not. It would be a lot more interesting if if one of us was a striker and a defender, or like we were up against each other. Mark each other on set pieces, maybe. Um, he had me for for set pieces. I didn't have him. Okay. He wasn't he wasn't danger enough for me to mark him. So um, that's my excuse anyway. But um, yeah, that was probably about the closest that we got was a couple of corners. Um, yeah, and then we just trot back to the, <laughs> the other side of the field and, and just try and shout at each other from a distance. Speaking of the, the two of you, um, if you'd asked me, and I'm sure if you ask many Hearts fans, um, the difference in competitive starts for Hearts between Ryan McGowan and Dylan McGowan, I'm sure most of us would say, oh, there'd be Ryan would be way ahead. I didn't know that he started 54 competitive games for Hearts and you started 60. There's only six of a difference. Did that surprise you? Yeah, I've never, I've never thought that before. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd kind of been... So when I left, he played a fair way. He probably played like 18 months almost, um, most games around that time that I left from about the January that I left. And then they had the points deduction the following season. So he had a good run in the team, whereas a lot of people, um, I think the season we won the Cup, I probably wasn't really a guaranteed starter. I, I got not lucky in terms of, but um, it was unfortunate that I think Danny Granger was, no, Jamie Hamill was suspended for the first game of that season. So I started at right back and then... He got injured I, like, badly yeah, as well, he? Yeah, got he? injured. So I played right back. And then when he got fit, Danny Granger hurt his knee quite badly. So he was out for a couple of months and I played left back for a long time. What are you? Are you a, because you played centre back for Sydney? Um, you, you, you're like a Thomas Flugel. What's your favourite position? Up front. <laughs> Come on now. Um, no, this, no, this is a serious yeah, podcast. Um, yeah, getting getting older, so probably centre back um, <laughs> is is my position. But you know, I really enjoyed. I remember Jim Jeffries. I'd never even really thought about um, right back, and I'd gone to air on loan. Um, and I think one of the first couple of games, Brian Reid was the manager, and he's like, can you play? I was playing centre midfield, and he's like, could you just do a job for us um, at right back? And it was away to Queen of the South. I always remember this. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's fine. Like, I don't care. I'll play anywhere. So I was playing right back, and then I got a message from, I think it was Darren Murray saying, oh, Jim Jeffries has obviously just become manager maybe like two weeks earlier. He's coming to watch you, him and Gary Locke. So play well. I remember texting him back going, oh, fuck's sake, I'm playing right back. Like, <laughs> the one game, that I think I'd scored on my debut for air. I was, thought I was doing relatively well at um, centre mid. It was me and Ryan Stevenson that was the two centre midfielders. And, um, yeah, so then next thing he came along and I was like, oh, fuck, like playing right back. Like, this is not going to, you know, I need to play well because it's the first time he's seen me, first impressions, all this stuff. Thought I played relatively well. And then he came must have been coming in training. The next time I was in training, 
um, Jim Jeffries pulled me aside and said, everyone had told me that, you know, you're a pretty good up and coming central midfielder, but no one told me that you were a, a good right back. And I was like, oh, like, again, like young and don't be like, oh, I actually really prefer cent- central midfield. But um, yeah, you know, I don't mind right back. And he's like, well, I, I think I prefer you at right back. <laughs> um, and I'm going to try and recall you back because I think it was Craig Thompson at the time or someone else. Anyway, he said he, he wanted me basically on the bench because he felt I could fill in a number of positions and I was a good option to come off the bench because he could keep a couple of extra strikers. And, and probably ever since then, I then started like thinking, right, well, I need to work on becoming a real right back because in the youth team, I'd either played center back or center midfield. So, um, yeah, probably started. I was a bit late on in in terms of of playing right back, but I, I really enjoyed it. I could use my my strengths was you know getting up and down the pitch, could tackle well, um, you know read the game well, good pass. My crossing could be better, but you know I tried to work on that as much as possible and just kind of knew my role as a as a right back um, and thought I'd, I'd done relatively well throughout my career and that that kind of has carried on. I think most of my games for Australia has been at right back, and it's and it's kind of been in that similar type role of you know away tough away games or or tough international games when we want to maybe go a bit more defensively. It's like that kind of um, four centre backs across the back four type role, and um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. But it would probably be the, those two centre back or right back. I'm, I'm more comfortable at. I think. You mentioned uh, Jeffries there, so you, I think during your time, at least around the first team at Hearts, there was Stephen Frail, Shabal Aslo, Jeffries, obviously Paolo Sergio, who you became more of a regular under, John McGlynn. What was your, who was your favourite of those managers? Because um, they're all at different stages of, of, of my career. I felt um, Jeffries and Billy Brown was... They were relatively good in terms of they're probably the first one that took an interest um, mm-hmm. in me and, and you know like that like that came to watch a, a loan you know when I was on loan um, would talk to me in training uh, would they were probably the first ones that told me I, I used to get told off well another story was when Shabba Laszlo I didn't particularly get on too well with Shabba Laszlo um, <laughs> interesting one character day, yeah it was just it was, I don't know I. I Darren Murray was our 19s coach and he used to be like every day is your last day. Like you train, like some of our 19s training sessions were the best sessions I've been involved in. We used to play all different types of games, foreigners against Scots, Glasgow against Edinburgh, um, just used to play every different types of game just to get training as game related as possible. So we used to be flying around left, right and centres and um, we played young the old under Shabba and um, I was obviously on the young team and we were getting spanked and um, Zaliukas was on the young team. This was how far way back it was. And he was like, couldn't really be asked. It was a little like 6v6 and I shouted at Marius being like, come on, like you need to pick up or nothing like out of like out of the ordinary or that I wouldn't say to anybody else. And Marius had a little nibble back being like, who are you? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> who are you talking to? I'm a first team player. And I was like, I, like, I wasn't interested in any of that. I'm like, I'm not sh- shouting at you to make an example. I'm just saying, like, you need to pick up, you need to work harder. So we had, like, a little bit of a tiff, but I didn't think of anything of it. Um, and then Shabba um, had a bit of a go at me afterwards, just being, like, again, similar to Myers, being like, you, you know, you can't shout at senior players or at older players. Um, I remember Hartley and I think 
Presley was there or Robbie Nielsen. I remember Robbie Nielsen just being like, well, like, forget about that. You know, that's good. Like, that's what you need to do. You need to, like, on a Saturday, if you were playing in the starting 11, like, we need you to be like that. Um, you know, keep that up. Because the kind of the UK was, if you're, you know, it doesn't matter if you played 100 games or two games, you need to keep your standards up type thing. And then Robbie came to me the next day and says, I actually, like, really keep your head down because um, I've heard that he's trying to get, I think I was coming towards the end of my contract and he was just like, oh, we don't need, like, we don't want him training with us anymore because he was shouting at the older players. Shabba. Um, Shabba was, yeah. So he's like, he's like, yeah, he's really, really, like, not keen on you. Um, and, like, two weeks later, I went to Partick Thistle on loan, I think it was. And, like, I think my contract was coming up or and I remember just thinking, oh, Jesus, I could be out of this club because... Because <laughs> you showed it, man, it's like you shouted at Sally because to pick up his runner. And I was thinking, oh my God, like this could all be over. And then, um, yeah, it took me, I wouldn't say it took me a while to recover from that, but it wasn't until Jeffries kind of came back. Um, and then Jeffries had obviously heard that story and he maybe picked up on training that I was trained differently to what I played or something else. And he pulled me into his office one day and was like, tell me the story about when you shouted at Marius. So I told him, he's like, I'll never shout at you for shouting at other players to do better. Like, we want that from you in training. Like, um, since we've came in, like, we've been wanting you to come out of your shell, but now it, like, makes sense why you haven't done it type thing. Mm -hmm. But he was, like, real big on, like, I don't want to be the one doing it. You guys should be coaching. You should be, you know, keeping training standards high, et cetera. So... Um, yeah, that's why I really like Jeffries because he he kind of gave me that belief or, or what I'd been used to all throughout my career in mm. terms of how you train, how you play. It's um, so even how you, I mean, even every game I used to play thinking this could be my last game. They could sign someone or I could have a bad game and I'd be out. And I think that maybe showed, you know, you, you do try and leave everything out there. But, you know, for some players, it's not always, always like that. And probably Jeffries was the one that, that got me back on track and, um, yeah, the rest is history, really, from there. You were speaking about Scots against foreigners at training. Yeah. You could have, so, you could have played for, for both. Uh, how yeah. close were you? Was there ever any uh, interest from Scotland? Um, before I know you played for the Aussie under-17s, which doesn't tie you to a nation, um, and then the under-20s. Did anybody speak to you about potentially being called up because your parents are, are, are Scottish? Yeah, I had a lot when, through like the under 18s and under 20 squads and 21 squads. Um, and Hearts were pushing that as well because it stopped me going away to, you know, here, there, and everywhere for three or four weeks. I would, I would fall in line with the international youth teams, you know, for Scotland because I used to miss a fair amount of youth team games or um, for going to like tournaments in Asia where we'd be away for three or four weeks. So I remember John Murray and Darren Murray were really pushing to, to go along to that kind of Scotland setup. And then um, Craig Levine had spoke to me when he was manager um, to see if I, would, if I was interested at all um, to play for Scotland. But it, it kind of what I, I felt at the time, it was just because I was playing at Hearts and I was kind of breaking through that that was the kind of only the only interest in me if I was playing, you know, in Australia, I don't think I would have got a phone call to play for Scotland. So um, I just felt that there's probably a Scottish kid that wanted to play for Scotland more than more than I did, and um, 
and if I could play for any country, it would be Australia. So I'd, I'd be very happy just playing for Australia. You know, if I wasn't good enough to play for Australia, then I wouldn't want yeah. to then play for another country. So I um, just kind of set my stall out early. But a lot of the youth team games, um, I would, I'd be in the Scottish team because of we had a lot of foreigners um, at one time in the youth team. So I used to just um, be on the Scottish on the Scottish boys team. So you moved to Hearts um, back in June 2006. I think you were just 16 at the time. Was that right? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So, so, so how was that move? Because I suppose, I mean, obviously you're from Australia, but with Scottish parentage. Did, did that make it quite easy for you, just that move over here? Um, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. In terms of like, I knew Scottish football. I knew like, I knew all parts. Um, I knew like, I grew up with, you know, Scottish family in terms of my parents, aunties and uncles um, of that kind of lifestyle and what it's like. But it still doesn't really prepare you as a as a 16-year-old kid, a little bit wet behind the ears. Um, I remember getting off the plane at Glasgow Airport and thinking I'd walk in, walked into a bloody freezer. It was that cold when I arrived. <laughs> and Dave McPherson Probably raining over there. Yeah, Dave McPherson picked me up in Glasgow Airport. I always remember he had a T-shirt on. I remember being like, what is this guy doing? It's minus, it felt like minus 50 and he's wearing a t-shirt. And um, he was laughing at me because I had about five jumpers on. I was that cold. Um, and then, yeah, the first couple of months was really tough um, in terms of just just dealing with everything. Um, a lot of the youth boys always make fun of me. and They like remember my first week at training thinking, who the hell is this guy that's, <laughs> who's this guy that's arrived? But um, you know, I forget. I think I arrived on a Saturday, and I was training like within the under 19s on like the Monday morning as a 16-year-old. That's, I mean, I couldn't understand a word any of them were saying. Um, all that, like Edinburgh boys, you know how you say Ken, like, yeah. like I know yeah. means Ken. Me and Dylan always laugh about this. We're like, who, who the fuck's Ken? Like everyone's <laughs> talking about Ken, and we don't know who he is, um, and it's just like. Took ages, and I remember then Dylan came. He came about eighteen months later, and him saying the th- same thing. You know, at lunch, he's like, "Who's who's Ken, by the way?" Because <laughs> anytime you say anything, they go, "Ken, Ken." Um, but just little things like that, yeah. I was actually speaking to Chris McPherson just earlier today, which is Dave's son, and son, had, yeah, yeah. He he said he was like, I was like, ask ask Ryan what his dad was like as an agent. So what was because Dave McPherson obviously knows Hearts very well. What what was he like as an agent? Yeah, well, he was my my first agent, and he got me a move to Hearts. So I was like, he's unbelievable. <laughs> how's he? How's he got a sixteen-year-old? For me, like, you know, how did he? How did he do that? Or, um, you know, I'll be forever grateful for for him for putting me, you know, foot through the door, I guess. Um, but yeah, you know, he, I used to say he was a really, he got really lucky in terms of me. I don't think he ever got a contract. I think I always kind of not won my contract but I never came to like the last six months or the last day I always kind of got renewed so I think even until I think I was at Hearts for maybe five six years I think I probably signed five different contracts um so it's just I always used to say he's got the easiest job in the world because he would get a phone call saying oh <laughs> Hearts, are, Hearts are wanting to offer you a contract but it made um, his job easy that's exactly what he must have his, wanted yeah made his job easy but um yeah but then he says the hardest part is finding a good player so he was but no he was good um he got he got me over um he you know, helped me settle in 
Um, but probably the main one to settle me in was Carol, Carol Cooper, Claire's mum. Yeah, so that was like my lady. <laughs> Chris mentioned that. Yeah. He was like, what was it like living with Claire Cowan's mum? Because you, yeah, you were a lodger there, weren't you? Yeah, that was, that's probably the main reason why I think why I was, why I did so well was because I, I basically got a, another mum in terms of, you know, I needed that at 16, 17. She would wash all my clothes, would cook dinner, would tell me where where to go. And if anyone's ever met Cal, I don't think she's missed many games at all, if any. She always said that she missed one game and she's really angry about it. It was like Aberdeen years. I won't say because it's obviously, but you'll notice it, but it was years and years ago. And um, I was like, oh, like, you know, what happened? This must be a good story. And she, she just pointed at Claire. I was like, oh, Claire, like, what like what happened? She's like, I was born. <laughs> so this, the one game she'd missed for like 40 or 50 years was the day she gave birth to Claire. She's still stuck up on it in terms of that was like her sore point. But, um, yeah, you know, for me it was a good grounding because you got that insight. I used to go on the supporters bus with her for some away games when I was really young. Met all of her friends who were like diehard Hearts fans and, and you'd listen to them. You know, I was not old enough to drink before any of you say anything, but, you know, in the pubs, <laughs> you know, listening to what, not what fans like or what they want to see, but, you know, it, it did give you an insight into, you know, what they wanted to see and, and what they did. And it also showed you how much joy, you know, a simple, like, win away, you know, made the bus trip home or, the you know, the excitement that you get when you go into games. And I think you can kind of miss that when you're in that bubble of, of trying to break into the first team because you don't get to see the fans. You, you arrive at the game two hours before there's no one there. You go out for your warm up, and then all of a sudden everyone's there. You miss that kind of buzz and that excitement of, of back and forth. And then you miss that kind of like, you know, Carol would still be talking about the game till about Wednesday. And then <laughs> Thursday, and then Thursday it would flip to, you know, the game coming up. So, um, you know, it, it impacts people's lives that I sometimes again, think that people in, in that football bubble, don't quite realize so um you know even when i broke into the first team i think it was only like the last six months of of my heart's career that i, I eventually decided i probably should move out and leave carol alone but um <laughs> yeah i remember like if i had a bad game i'd be on the bus going oh shit carol's gonna <laughs> carol's gonna carol's gonna grill me when i get home and you know, the next morning, if she's seen me, she'd be like, "So what happened yesterday?" <laughs> I know, I know, you're uh, an Adelaide boy, um, Ryan. But did you uh -huh. ever hear the story? It was after you'd left Hearts. Did you ever hear the story about Hearts trying to raise money, um, and they were going to play Celtic at the MCG in Melbourne? Mm, no, I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, I heard that they were, they were interested in coming out to Australia at one point. Yeah, it was to do, because I, I want to take you back to, to Dave McPherson, and obviously Lou Sticker, um, mm -hmm. who's the owner of Tribal Sports Management, who Dave worked for, I'm sure you know very well. Um, yeah. he, he, he's done well. I mean, he's got Scott McDonald and obviously many other Aussies that, that he brought over to Scotland, but he was uh, in negotiations with Hearts um, to try and come up with some sort of idea to raise money. And a Hearts spokesman said to the Scotsman in April 2014, there is a proposal before the SPL for Hearts to play a home fixture next season in Australia because uh, Lou and TSN, uh, TSM were trying to raise uh, about $1.2 million for the football club. So there you go. Very interesting. Yeah, he, Lou does a lot of that now. So he does a lot more of the um, 
games. So he brought like LA Galaxy to Australia, he brings Liverpool, Tottenham. So he does a lot more um, of those kind of big glamour friendlies now. I think yeah, and he's, he's got than... Paddy Kersnobble as well. Yeah, yeah. So he's got um, a fair few, fair few players. So that kind of worked out well because Lou was my agent, well, officially my agent along with Dave. So Dave kind of looked out for me while I was in Scotland as my day-to-day. Um, and then Lou was probably looking at that other side of the world. So that combination worked well for me as a as a youngster. I've got a message here from uh, Dominic Unwin. He says, uh, Aussie Hearts fan here. Do you think more young Aussies should head to Scotland to, do, to develop? Both Moy and Irvin got a start there and have gone on to become vital members of the Ruse. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, again, it was something that I looked at when I came over in terms of, you know, you play a lot of games. If you like when you break into the first team, you play a lot of games on TV. Um, you play a lot of big games like away to Celtic and Rangers, derbies, you know, if you're at one of the smaller clubs, you know, Tynecastle is a great place to play, Easter Road, there's the Dundee derby, or there was the Dundee derby, they're both two big clubs, um, passionate fans, it's all over the, you know, if you do well in Scotland, you're on the radio, you're on TV, um, you know, there's a lot of history and there's a lot of good things um, about Scottish football, um, that probably don't, you know, I think Scotland doesn't pump up the game as much as they probably should do, but I think that's more of a reflection on society more than, than anything in terms of, like, you know, you've got a great thing going and no one, they just seem to, to slag it or put it down more than, you know, anywhere else. I think England's the same, but they pump it up and everyone believes in it. Um, so, yeah, I think for, for young Aussie players, I've, I've always said I've had a few phone calls over the years you know, this club's interested in me or that club, what do you think? And I think jump at it because if you, especially with the market, is if you go to a, a smaller club in the SPFL and do well, there's every chance that, you know, Hearts or Hibs, Aberdeen pick you up, Celtic or Rangers, a championship team in England. Like, you're on the radar, you're on the map a lot more than, than possibly Australia. And, um, yeah, you know, I think it's a great, a great um, upbringing, grassroots uh, Ewan Pringle messaged us saying, how hard was it breaking into the first team with the size of the squad, loan spells and turnover of managers? Uh, because obviously you came to Hearts at a time and over the next few years after you joined where uh, there was a lot of players, um, to say the least, and there was a lot of competition for places at times. Yeah, it was it was really difficult. Um, like I touched on it earlier, you'd get a manager that kind of liked you and you would feel like you were maybe getting close to the first team and he would maybe get sacked or um, other times you're like miles away from the from the first team you know you're training back with the 19s when you felt like you know only two months ago you were training with the first team and or you're doing well in the in the 19s and they're basically saying there's you know, there's 20 odd boys that need a game ahead of you and those 20 odd boys had another 20 ahead of them to be in the first team so it was it was difficult when I first brought it, when I first came in. There was a lot of good, good players. Do you know what I mean? Like I trained a couple of times with the first teams, and it's like I think I named them before. You had like Hartley, Presley, Nielsen, Gordon. Do you know what I mean they were all in the Scotland setup, all regulars really? So you had four Scotland regulars. You had the Lithuanian boys who came in, who were Jankowskis, who won the Champions League. Um, used to be on Takas Visas boots, who won the. The Champions League or the Euros, Julian Brelia, 
you know, I think I had when I first signed four or five players boots that I just had to clean, let alone had to get in front of it in training sessions. But, um, you know, I think a lot of it goes down to like Darren Murray was really good for me in terms of like he again seen something in me or believed in me. But, you know, he used to just used to stick at it and he was just really good for, for young players in, in terms of like he just put in a, a work ethic that you need to, to make it to the game, a determination of, you know, I don't care who comes in. I don't care where you are. He was a diehard Hearts fan. So he was like, he used to say to all of us, this would probably be the biggest club you'll ever play for. <laughs> if you go on if you go on and do well, then then good on you. But for 99% of you youth team players in here, this will be the biggest club that you're going to play for. So every day, I want you to train like that, that, that you'll never get these days back. And it used to just, you know, I used to just love that in terms of being like, yeah, you know, I want to play for big clubs. I want to play for the first team. I want to you know, be successful. So, you know, as a 16, 17-year-old away from Australia, I was like Tuesday day, Tuesday afternoon at Rickard and thinking, yeah, this is like the life. You know, for me, this was exactly what I wanted to do. And, um, yeah, it just took me probably a little bit longer than I'd um, hoped for or wanted, but it kind of worked pretty well in the end. And, um, yeah, it's one of those things that I probably wouldn't change it. I would maybe want to have got in the first team earlier or, or played a few more games, but who knows if I played a bit earlier, I might not have been ready. And um, it's just funny how football works, but um, yeah, definitely look back on it and think Darren Murray was a, a huge influence on, on my career and, and probably a lot of those youth team players that was coming through at the time. Here's the hypothetical question for you. Take Sydney FC, put them in the Scottish premiership. Where do they finish? I get asked this all the time. <laughs> um, it's, it's difficult. I definitely think we'd be challenging for European places. Um, Be- better than Hearts. Not not so much this season. <laughs> this season. <laughs> <laughs> I think this Central, Central, Coast, Central yeah. Coast Mariners, bottom of the A-League, would be better than Hearts this season. Yeah, um, my, Edinburgh, my Edinburgh group chat thinks that they could beat them at the minute. But, um, <laughs> no, yeah, I think... Yeah, I definitely think that we would that we'd be challenging in for European spots. Um, you know, we've got players. That I feel that if they went to to Hearts, they'd you know they'd be the the better players in the team. We've got Adam Lafondre, Remember him down? Yeah, it was good striker. Yeah, yeah, it was at Reading. Um, a few other clubs. You know, you can't tell me that if Hearts got offered him, you know, he wouldn't score goals in the the SPFL. We've got a German boy who played in the Bundesliga, Alex Bomuhan. Serbian internationalist Milos Ninkovic. Um, yeah, you know, we, we have a very good team that I'd be confident of, of going and beating most teams and, and challenging for Europe for sure. Talking about big names, um, Eric Abidal, Thiago Mota, Deco, Thierry Henry, they were all in the field at a certain game at Murrayfield in front of 58,000. Do you remember that? I think you got five minutes, didn't you, in that game? Yeah, I think I got that last six or seven minutes in that um I had a header I almost scored um I'd done well in the we had a pre-season I think we'd gone to Germany um and again like one of those kind of things someone had pulled out the day before the trip to Germany and I think I got called in so they're like oh pack your bags you're gone to Germany the following day and it was it was crazy that that pre-season was really crazy um I thought it was great, but I, you could tell that it was like cracks starting to appear 
Um, but for me, it was like perfect. I was just hoping that there'd be cracks everywhere and I'd just get a sniff <laughs> of, of a game. But um, yeah, done well in, in some of the, the games in, in pre-season. And then, yeah, we came back and we played Barcelona and the squad list went up and I was in it. And again, I just thought, okay, like I'll probably be, I think there was 21 players in the squad. So I was like, I'll probably be one of the three that, that miss out. And then they're like, oh, actually, there's no like limit. So we're going to have everybody on the bench. So I remember just being like, oh, yes, like going to be on the bench for, um, against Barcelona. And then Stevie Frail just said, uh, guys, are going to warm up. You're going to come on. I remember just before I came, before I, I came, on, came on, I was on like, for? oh, Carapetus. Yep. What were you saying? What was were you saying? Yeah, it was. What were you saying about before you, uh, before you came on, you warmed up, were you shitting bricks? Yeah, a little bit. Stevie, Stevie Fowl goes, right, there's a French guy up front. We don't know much about him, but he's pretty good. So just make sure you try and stay with him. And it was big on Ree. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I remember his team talk because it was, um, oh, I think it was Antol and that Korobotchka that was. Korobotchka, yeah. Anatoly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he'd done like this big speech before, like before the game. We were in the, I think we were in the Norton House Hotel for pre match. And done this like big speech on all the players, and obviously everyone knew who they were. And then, so everyone was like a bit scared. And then Stevie Frail just came on trying to lighten up the mood. And he goes, oh, "Who gives a fuck about all these players? We know what they can do. They know what they do. Let's just see what we do." And he's like, then he started going through all the players. He's like, "Too small wouldn't make it in Scotland." About like Shabby <laughs> and any <laughs> and Iniesta <laughs> wouldn't get a game here. Too small, lightweight, and just kind of gave it that. And I remember everyone. Um, just lighten that mood a bit. And then before I came on, he just said, you know, remember this good luck. You, you get it. You've, you've had a great couple of weeks away with the first team. So um, make sure this isn't your kind of last appearance and chuck me on for the last six or seven minutes. And Did you get Romanov spot on the bench then? Cause um, <laughs> yeah, probably rumors are he was quite keen to be involved in that game. <laughs> yeah, probably. I remember, I remember he, he came to Germany a couple, well, I think we were, must've been in Germany. Um, and he was like kicking about training a few times, and um, yeah, he was just there. It's been enough stories about him, but yeah, I don't think I think he wanted to be on the bench, but I think at that time it was it was too highly. You couldn't have him on the bench really, and I think towards the end, the powers that be finally said, "Come on, mate, you can't actually sit on the bench." <laughs> did you get Did you get a jersey that game? No, I was too. I, like I'd played for Hart, like that was my first sort of first team game. So I just kept my own jersey, and um, I didn't want to be like that one that chased around the players. Like, that. <laughs> do you regret? So that? just like, um, yeah, like yes and no. Probably would have been good to have one of their players, but at that time, I, again, I thought this might be the only time that I like get to play for Hearts. Was that white strip, the white away strip? Yeah, yep. with um, their pinstripes, pin isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure like, it was like a high number and um, yeah, I was just delighted to, to get a run and that sort of gave me that taste to, to keep working hard and, and hopefully get a run out. I mean, by the time you'd gone on in that game, there was only five minutes to go. So there was a lot of space on the pitch because Yuho Makala and his caravan had been replaced at <laughs> half time. <laughs> It's a bit harsh, isn't it? No, <laughs> he scored. Hey, he he, he, scored, he did yeah. something. He scored a he goal score. against Barcelona. Um, I wonder what the, I wonder what they thought. They'd taken the lead through Ronaldinho's penalty, and then 
That, do you know what? When he signed, this was the thing. He, he had an unbelievable scoring record in mm-hmm. Finland. And, and you kind of thought, that, could this be... Because we've always been looking for that 20-goal-a-season-plus striker. And ten. everyone that signed... Ten. <laughs> ten. Okay. Five. <laughs> let's, let's, not get, let's not get carried away. Um, the, the, not the replacement for Robo, but someone that's going to bang in loads and loads of goals. And, and obviously, we, we thought we had it with David Vanacek, but just unfortunate, that kid, that he... He never quite made it over the last couple of years. But Michaela, when he signed, or Makala, however you pronounce him, um, he looked all right. What what was he like in training? Was he one of these guys that looked really good in training? Or could you tell that, eh, I'm not sure, when you saw him? <laughs> Maybe in the, the not sure category. <laughs> That's the, the diplomatic answer. Um, <laughs> so almost 60,000 against Barcelona at Murrayfield, Hart's biggest ever home attendance, if you want to call it that. You're comp- Competitive debut, slightly different. Gretna, slightly I believe. Different, yeah. A thousand fans, game, yeah, for a park. Um, what do you remember of that? Do you remember your squad number at the time, actually? 52. Oh, well done. I didn't know if you would. Yeah. So, what, what was yeah. that like? Because that, I, I don't want to say underwhelming, because it would be your obviously first appearance of hearts. That must be great. It's a lot more than what uh, Mark and I have ever got close to achieving. But was it a bit odd? Because that was a very surreal team to play Gretna, especially in Motherwell. Yeah. Um, I, I just remember, I think we, we were in the bottom six, and then I remember, like, Stevie Frow, I think because he was in charge, towards the end of the season, when it looked like we're not making the bottom six, he kept coming out and saying, oh, the bottom six would be a good chance to, like, play the kids and um, give them experience. So I remember being like, oh, that's, like, yes, I'm going to play in, like, those games. And then, like, they got in the bottom six and they're, like, for the integrity of the league and, like, for the other players, like, we're only going to maybe drip in, like, one or two. And being like, oh, shit, like... So I think Gary Glenn was, like, breaking through at the time. So I was like, well, there's one gone. Um, and then... And then they did, like... the. I remember they did something about Scott Robinson. Remember, he was, like, the youngest ever player. And they kind of did, like, a little bit of, like, a, you know, come to Tynecastle tomorrow and there's a chance you could see, like, the youngest ever player and he'd kind of come in from like nowhere and I'm just thinking oh shit like I'm running out of games here um and then I thought I might start against Gretna didn't start Gary Glenn gets sent off is that right uh yes I think you're right we definitely got a red card that game yeah yeah and then I was just thinking oh like that's me I'm not they're not going to bring a defender on and we were one nil down so I'm like they're not going to bring me on to bloody try and score or get a goal so I remember just being a bit like reflecting on the bench and looking around at all the empty seats, being like, oh, well, I had a relatively good season. Like I'm closer to the first team than it was at the end. And then, yeah, then I got the last, um, I think it was maybe 20 minutes or so, 15 yeah, minutes. About no, maybe not even. Came on yeah. for, for Marius Salyukas. It's funny, you mentioned, um, obviously, shouting at Marius almost cost you your heart career early on. Did you ever speak mm. to him about that later on? Because you obviously became regular teammates and he was your captain towards the end yeah because he used to shout at me all the time when I, once he got older <laughs> and then i had webby webby was the worst um <laughs> he's like we still laugh about that now but everyone used to be like webby was he was just on my case like 24 7 were you his um, side then at the right it was webby in the right yeah too, yeah so he was on the right Morris was on the left and he was just constantly like at the time, I felt like this is little stuff, like just leave me alone type thing, like let me concentrate on my game. But he used to be like on me, like in training and, and like just all the time. 
and it's like stood me in good stead because it was just like all little things now that like I shout at the young boys and that things that you think back then are not big things but they do lead to like goals and they do cost goals and um yeah he was probably like one of the first senior players to like actually talk to me about the game being like you know you weren't tight enough on your man which for a throw in up the pitch which allowed them to switch the ball which meant that we were out of position which led to the goal you know like little things like that in terms of so when I tell you to get tight and when you you know you have to be tight it's not because I'm just shouting at you it's because if they do get out of this situation it can lead to a goal in the next couple of minutes and it was you know as a young player you know that's that's someone in your team teaching you football and teaching you the the rules and and what happens and and that these little small details uh, are so all these little details if they're not done correctly end up costing you goals and the the more that you can nullify them and stop them the more difficult it is for the opposition to score and give yourself a better chance of winning and and Webby was really good at that and especially I think Myers would, would always be grateful for him in terms of Webby was kind of the communicator and the talker amongst the group um, and, and he kind of you know at half time if we weren't playing well it was it was Webby that was was at everybody and and would would you know sort of steady the ship when when we needed it so I was just the closest one to him. You made a handful of appearances under Jeffries, but it was under Paolo Sergio that you really became a regular in the team. And I, I guess you were 21 at that point. Did you feel that that was the perfect time that you were re- really ready to kick on and make that step? Yeah, yeah. By that time, I, I had the bit between my teeth in terms of uh, I wanted to prove people wrong. I'd been, I'd kind of gone from that like young kid that people thought would break through and and play well to oh, he's not kind of broke through yet, so maybe he's not as good as he was in the 19s or how he, you know, like the fleeting sub-appearances, you know, like you get that whole, like, he's not kicking on, he's not playing, something must be going on in the background. And, um, yeah, I just kind of had that bit between my teeth in terms of I wanted to prove a lot of people wrong. I wanted to, like, murmurs back in Australia, like, he's not really playing. You get to that age where you're, like, you're not a kid anymore. So I, th- I feel like I've always performed a little bit better trying to prove people wrong and um yeah it was just just really felt that that was my time to to kick on and, and play and play as well as I can and um I felt like I did pretty well that season um that I was there got a question from Matthew Harold and it's it's someone I was actually going to bring up earlier uh, not Matthew uh, sorry, Matthew, but Branimir Kostadinov. What were the wonder kids Kostadinov and Dimitru Kopil like? Asks Matthew. Yeah, they, they were they were good kids first and foremost. They were really good kids. Branimir was like really determined. Really, um, you know, he did everything that he could. He, he was a really hard worker. He listened. He had to learn English, which you know people kind of forget. Like you just like, you just rocked up to. Um, Rickard and everyone's like, oh, for fuck's sake, he doesn't talk, in- he doesn't speak English. <laughs> and everyone's like, well, why would he? Like, you know, he's come from, I think he's Bulgaria. Like, yeah. why would he speak English? Like, we don't speak, Bul- like, we just expect him to to speak English and, and then just train and be like the best player. You know, he was doing passing drills that he'd never learned or never done before. You know, you need to give these boys, like, I, I felt like I had that process, but I was a little bit better because I could speak English, but it still took me a little bit of time to. You didn't speak Scottish, though, did you? <laughs> I, didn't, I couldn't understand a word half of them said at the start. But, um, <laughs> you know, it does, it does take time. And it's, 
sometimes it's not so much on the field stuff. It's, you know, finding your apartment, finding the way to and from training, finding, you know, doing all, all the stuff that you need to do when you move into a new house. Sometimes that stuff is a lot harder than, you know, training or playing in games. And um, I think they had a few, like, news reports and, you know, everyone was really interested in them. And, again, like, I think sometimes that is a, a case of they come and watch him and he doesn't play well. And instead of saying, oh, he's got potential and, you know, with the right coaching or a little bit of work on this or that, he could make it. They're just like, nah, he's not good enough. There's no point. And you're just dismissed. And that's, do you know what I mean? That's it. And again, like that's a society thing in terms of, you know, everyone's so quick to bring people down or young players down or saying they're not ready or, you know, one bad game means that that's them. You know, that's you finished, gone, never be good enough. When, you know, I think, when you're like, well, you know, he might not be good enough now, but give him a couple of years and, and give him exposure and work with him and you actually never know what you could do. But again, I think they just came at the wrong time. If they came as I was leaving, they would have maybe played 20 or 30 games. But when I was, when they arrived, they were you know, number 50, number 60, and there's loads of people ahead of them. And, you know, I, I've kind of got, as I was, as I left Hearts that following season, I think they only had like, 20 odd players I think if that's right they were bringing you know school kids onto the bench towards the end of the season with the financial restraints so you know there's there's no doubt that if Koppel and Brandemir were there that time that they would have played you know 10-15 games and you could have judged them on that instead of you know a couple of under 19 games So your season under Paolo Sergio you're a regular you've kind of settled into the team halfway through the season but quite a tricky period the Frequent delays with wages and obviously financial difficulties were becoming apparent. What, what was that like for yourself and the team? Because obviously you've only just become, I suppose, a regular. Was it was that especially hard or was it easier for you as being a younger player? It was definitely easier for me. Um, I was still living with Carol, so I didn't have any mortgages <laughs> to pay. I didn't have any like outgoings. I had a car. That was it. Um my mum always laughs, like when I used to, you know, leave or move house, it was my PlayStation that I used to bring in my suitcase. I didn't have any baggage, I didn't have anything <laughs> anything to do. Whereas, you know, those boys that had kids, had mortgages, had car payments, two car payments, kids' fees, school fees, you know. And again, like it's been said many a times, players at hearts aren't on 10, 15, 20 grand a week. And even if you are, you then live that lifestyle. So... I think we went through a stage, I think it was close to four or five months without getting, you know, a single penny. So it was um, as much as you could have saved in the past. It was really pushing the limits in terms of of what you could do. But, um, yeah, you know, we had very heated discussions with you know, people on higher up in terms of, like, when we were getting paid. And I think our biggest gripe as a playing group was that there was no real communication from the top. It was a kind of, like oh, yeah, yeah, this Friday, you know, you'll get paid. And Friday would come and go and we wouldn't have been paid. And then, like, the following Wednesday, someone would, you know, get sent out to Rickerton and say, oh, yeah, there was a slight issue, but we're hopeful that, you know, this Friday you get paid. I'm like, okay, like, that's good, then fine. Again, like, wouldn't be paid. And, you know, we kind of got to that situation where we're like, I would rather you just say, listen, you're not going to get paid for the next six weeks so you know start, yeah start living you know make arrangements or, or start doing things that you're not going to get that paid and and we as a, a playing group came up with a system in terms of we handed in a, a form of um 
because the money was like filtering in. That's the way they were explaining it to us was that not everyone could get paid on a certain day, but they were getting influxes of money at different stages. So we came up with a, a paying scheme of, you know, within the playing group who kind of needed that money the most and work and handed that in in terms of when you get this amount of money and pay this player first, this player second. And um, and that's kind of how we worked as a playing group to, to try and help those boys that maybe needed it more than others. It's been subsequently explained, Ryan, that they just needed to deposit one pence into your account so they can get away with saying, well, I paid them something. Um, and yeah. that, that wasn't ideal. So it's... It's good to hear yeah, that a, a few times it was a few times it was I think uh, yeah they were quite clever in what they did I think it was if you went eight weeks or something yep. along those lines yep. without getting paid and then we'd kind of be counting down to like oh it's eight weeks on Friday and Thursday like twenty quid would go into your account <laughs> <laughs> you just be like those bloody bastards have just like that's them said that they've you know officially small print they've put yeah. something into your account but. Um, yeah, it worked well in two different ways because we kind of had that mentality of like, right, it's just us. You know, we kind of bunk it in. Sergio was really good. Lockie was really good. Um, you know, the playing group was was good. A couple of like Mondays or Tuesdays we'd come in and, you know, we hadn't been paid and we maybe got beat at the weekend. And Sergio and Lockie would just kind of say like, right, lads, we'll just, you know, play headed tennis. It'll be a bit of fun today. Clear your heads, get back, you know, come back in track. You'll, we'll give you tomorrow off spend it with your families because um, you can't spend any money and come back in on Thursday and, and kind of had that in us in terms of, you know, football was important and everything else, but there was a lot going on behind the scenes that we had to kind of stick together. And yeah, um, there was also a lot of pressure on us to, to keep the club's face in terms of like, we couldn't really come out in the press and say, you know, we're, we're not happy that we're not getting paid because it's just it doesn't reflect well on the on the playing group. Um, you know, there's probably plenty of times in the change rooms afterwards if we got beat, we're a bit like, well, like you know, what do they expect? They're not paying us at all. And then you know we're getting slaughtered in front of sixteen thousand fans at Tynecastle, and you know you're just like, if we come out and say, well, listen, we've not been paid for seven weeks, it's not an excuse, but it's a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes, and everyone was asking us, but you know we've been told from the top. There would be a hefty penalty if you if you did come out and say what was going on. So um, yeah, you know, towards the end of the season, we used that as motivation, and it actually worked out relatively well. Speaking of of Romanov, we had a question in from James about picking the squad. Now I'm going to go further than that. I'm going to take you to the the fourth of February 2006. It was a Scottish Cup game against Aberdeen. You weren't involved. Um, but Takis Fisas, when he showed up at Tynecastle, was told he had the flu. <laughs> he didn't, but he was told he had the flu, and Josi Gonçalves made his debut that day, as, as did Mirsad Beshlija. Did you ever suffer from Romanov picking the team, and were you ever told that you had the flu when you didn't? Uh, not to that extent, but when the window that all that they accepted a bid for Ranger, from Rangers. Remember when Temps went? Yep. They accepted the bid, and I was on my way back from Murray Park, and um, I got a phone call to say they weren't sure if I was going to play that weekend because they no one had told, no one had told Romanov yet that I had rejected uh, I hadn't gone, <laughs> and I think they had fully expected me to sign. 
So there was a little bit of like come in to train tomorrow, but we don't really know what the situation was. And then I'm sure that was like the Friday night because we played. Yeah, it must have been we played Liverpool Thursday night. That happened Friday. I think we must have trained Saturday. And I think we, we, I'm sure we played Dundee on the Sunday. And uh, Saturday morning I went in and John McGlynn, John Murray had a, all, a meeting with them. And they're a bit like, yeah, I don't think the club's too happy that you're actually here, believe it or not. <laughs> and I, I remember just being like, oh, like that really like kind of threw me a little bit because um, I thought that I was doing the, well, I still believe I'd done the right thing. Mm-hmm. But it was a it was a situation of I was then thinking, well, like, what the hell? Like, you know, I wanted to sign another contract. I wanted to stay at Hearts, just broke into the national team. Like, I was thinking that I was going to come back and get offered a new deal. You know, I think I went up and I would have become like a fan favourite straight off the bat if I didn't do anything else at that time. Um, and then I felt that Hearts were a bit like, oh, you know. Because they threw... <clears throat> they threw temps under the under the bus a little bit, didn't they, when he left? Which um, I, th- yeah, I I think I think subsequently, and you'll probably know better than I will. But if I remember rightly, subsequently it came out that well, Hart really wanted Templeton to go, and they made that quite clear to him. But then I, I I can't remember the exact wording of things, but there was things that came out afterwards that I guess made a lot of fans look unfavorably at Templeton, which did seem a little bit unfair. It's, yeah, uh, that kind of yeah, that really annoys me in terms of if they didn't want Temps to go, all you do is when Rangers call up, you just say he's not for sale or he's not going. Do you know what I mean? So Temps can't just go to Rangers. Arcus can't go to Rangers. Um, you know, players just can't go to clubs mm-hmm. because they want to go. You you get a phone call to say I got a phone call to say Rangers have put a bid in and we've accepted it as the club so you can now go we give you permission to go speak to them for personal terms and then that like that's it so then I called back and said the first time sorry like I'm just not interested I'm not I'm not going and they're like oh um okay like what do you want us to do and I was like we'll call Rangers back and say that um I don't want to go and then next thing I had John Murray on the phone called David Sutherland, everybody being like, oh, I think you should really consider the offer. Like, you know, we've accepted it, so we are prepared for you to leave the club. Temps is going. Um, you know, he's there just now, like agreeing personal terms. It's a big influx of money. It's going to really help us. Um, and then I got another phone call about an hour later to say that they've um, put a higher bid in and we've accepted that again, like, we really wouldn't mind you leaving. Um, Temps has agreed and, and everything's sorted with that. And again, I was just like, Ali McCoy's called. And I was, because he had called, I said I'd, I'd go meet him out of respect. You know, he said, at least just give me an hour to speak to me. Um, he wanted to tell me all about it. But I said to him on the phone, I'm, I'll, I'll come through to meet you and um, you know, show your respect, but I'm not going to be signing. And then I remember even that, like at the end of meeting Alan McCoist, he was like, oh, I, I thought when you said that on the phone, I could convince you, but, you know, good luck with you and, um, you know, all the best for the rest of the season at Hearts. He was, like, really good with me. Got back in the car thinking, yeah, like, it's been great. Um, you know, my Hearts mates, 
that I had in my thing were being like, oh, like, you know, that's great. Like, everyone will be buzzing with you. And the bloody club calls and says, oh, yeah, actually, you know, are you actually leaving Murray Park? I said, yeah. <laughs> We've oh, already we given you. away your spot. <laughs> yeah, we, we've heard we've heard that you're not signing, and I was like, "Yeah, I told you that, you know, a couple of hours ago that I wouldn't be signing." And uh, yeah, again, they were like, "Okay, well, we need to wait and see what happens from from then on in, but be prepared that you know players have done that in the past and, and not played." But I felt confident enough that confident enough in not fan power as such, but because it had been played out in the public eye. Um, that 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 wouldn't be the case. Do you mean if if that Sunday that I wasn't if I was in the stand, you know, I think there would have been a fair few people that would have been quite angry about it, and um, I think the club knew that. So, um, yeah. But then I think the club came out and said they they couldn't. Temps wanted to leave, and they couldn't stand in his way. They're like, well, yeah, you can. Do you know what I mean? Like, just don't accept that. Just don't accept that bid. They, they very much, anywhere. yeah. They very much played it as he made sure he got his move, and they they kind of, yeah. I, I can't remember the wording, but I did remember thinking at the time, yeah, it's pretty clear and that I, we need I, the money. But, um, yeah. yeah, I remember being really annoyed at that because you know he was a close friend of mine, and he still is, and that was, the, you know, that wasn't the case. That was just blatant them saying what they wanted to say, and it just turned the whole crowd. Instead of just coming out and saying, do you know what, Temps is been a great player for us he'd won like young player of the month he'd been you know, been outstanding for hearts he's just scored against liverpool at, at anfield been a youth product do you know I mean been a really really good youth product a player that we've probably not brought through the youth ranks since you know thank you for your efforts you've just brought us in close to a million pounds good luck it was a case of you know oh he wanted to stay and we couldn't keep him it's, it was just it left a little bit of a a bad taste in my in my mouth, and I think that you know people at that time, if they're looking back, who probably would have regretted what they'd done at, at that time as well. A couple of things then. If you said that he brought Hearts nearly a million pounds, the suggestion was that the dual deal for the two of you was one point three. However, um, that only values you at three hundred thousand. There's another report that suggests that Templeton yeah. cost around seven hundred grand. Which would see you just less than that. What was it ever broken down? How much each player was worth for from yeah. Rangers who, who were in the third division at the time? That was the, uh, that was the second one you said. So I think he was seven hundred and I was six hundred or five hundred, and that was another reason why I didn't go because if they thought Temps was a better player than me, then that's <laughs> 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 the other the other thing about that is, did you speak to anyone? Um, with the Australian national team at the time because you would have been playing in the fourth tier of Scottish football and you would have been winning most weeks but it wouldn't have been much of a challenge. Did you speak to anyone who told you, look, we'd rather you stayed at Hearts than, than drop down divisions? Uh, no, I just... I, I, mean, I was bright enough to know that you're probably not going to get in the national team and we were a couple of years out from a World Cup so the chances of me playing for any national team in the fourth division of Scotland would have been hard enough then you know, playing in the top division at the time. And I spoke to my dad, spoke to a few people that were important to me. My mum came along with me to, to to Murray Park, spoke to a few of my my close mates, um, uh, Dylan, and and everyone was just kind of saying, you know, take the money out of it. The, there's no reason for you to, to go there. And, um, yeah, it's probably one of – it's one that, yeah, you maybe think, what, what if? Because I think a few days later it was – 
you know, I, from that point of view, I was in my head at that time. I was thinking, right, I've just broken into the national team. Um, I was thinking, Marius is maybe going to leave. I could captain the club. Just won the Scottish Cup. You know, 21, 22 in my head was like, sign a new deal. A bit similar to what Craig Gordon did inside, like, sign a new deal on like good money. Like, I didn't want massive money because I didn't have any outgoings. But like money that I thought that I could have got because I was still on like my youth team wage basically. Um, and then put in like a buyout clause in my contract. And then, you know, hopefully in the January or the following year, if they really did need money, you could go around to clubs and say, you know, you can get this player for this amount. And then off I go and, and everything, everyone's working out happy. Instead, the following days when I called John Murray to say, you know, is there a chance that I'm going to get offered a new deal? Like, I want to stay. I was really happy in Edinburgh. Um, they were just like, oh, in January, you're, you're gone in January. So that's <laughs> that's it. You'll, you'll be gone to the highest bidder in January because you didn't go in the August. And I was just thinking, oh, well, that's a bit shit. <laughs> that's not what I had in my head. And, and that's basically how it played out. Well, we'll take a, we'll rewind a little bit again, just back to, 2011-2012, so 2nd of January 2012, New Year Derby at Easter Road, and I think, I'm pretty sure the team had gone like three months without without pay at that point, but 0-0, 57 minutes played, hearts get, a, <laughs> hearts get a corner, Ian Black clips it in the box, Andy Webster heads it towards goal, but Graham Stack saves. Black's penalty... So, so first off, Ryan, was it going in anyway? And what did Andy Webster say? Um, I, at the time, I didn't think it was going in. But then looking back, I was like, 100% it was going in. Um, but that was the that was the move. So we always like, kind of the old saying, one go near, one mm-hmm. mil, one far. And I was always kind of the far. I would always go far post. Um, and just trying like that, you know, for glancing headers, keeper spills, just for tappings basically and Stephen Elliott was always on the goalie for similar reasons I think Gary Glenn had scored a goal in an Edinburgh derby like the year before I think yeah. Elliot Johnson headed it and he just flicked it over so we always yeah. kind of had someone in front of the goals for that and yeah I was just continually going to the to the back post um, and then yeah just remember like a lot of players defenders even I thought still you get attracted to the ball and you always you always kind of free around the back and just remember Stack saving it and just being like, oh, my God, I'm going to score here. It was like <laughs> slow motion and just scoring and, yeah, and then buzzing. And then I, I just remember Webby being like, I don't care who scored. Like, we're winning. You know, like, it, it honestly doesn't matter. Like, he's that type of guy that was just like, if you scored, I scored. It doesn't care. Like, no one cares. Like, we don't we don't care. We're just winning. Um, and then after the game, I remember, like, a few boys winding up being like, oh, you, like, that wasn't your goal. I remember being like, I don't really care. It was like my first start in Edinburgh Derby and we had just won. I was just thinking, I'm going to get hammered tonight. I'm just going to enjoy this like whole celebration. <laughs> we just won at Easter Road. Like, you know, it's one of the highlights of the season. Um, and yeah, that really kind of kicked me on because that was my first goal for mm-hmm. Hearts. Um, and I'd watched like many a derby. I'd been to loads um, of derbies because I'd been in the squad you know people forget that I was kind of at hearts like four or five years before I actually even broke in so 
used to go to like all the derbies for ages. Um, like my mates that I got in the youth team, Johnny Stewart, um, you know, used to go to all the like away derbies with him and and do the whole, you know, go to the pub beforehand and, and I just really, really enjoyed it. So what was that like? I've got, I've got a question here from Kyle1874 who says, limbs in the away end. Ryan, what was the feeling like crowd surfing over Hearts fans? Because obviously you're saying you'd been in the Dunbar end, in the South Stand for Derby. Yeah. How surreal was it? Because obviously you scored, and you know you're you're a, you're one of these players that I think fans love to watch when they score because you don't hold back in your celebrations, and you're you're right in amongst the fans. I mean, that must have been incredible. Yeah, looking back, you're like you wish you had a little bit of composure about yourself and could look <laughs> a little bit cooler. <laughs> the amount of goals, like your cup final, and like uh, I think I scored against Aberdeen at Tynecastle. Yeah. Well, so when I look back, I scored three goals for Hearts. So it's scored one at Tynecastle, one at Easter Road, and one at Hamden. So as a Hearts player, they're pretty good. I tick like all the boxes there. Um, but I think all those celebrations, like, I sometimes wish I could have just been like cool, calm, and collective. <laughs> but it's, there's just, there's, do you know what I mean? A bit like that. I'd been at Easter Road like so many times. I'd been um, like the league, the league cup game midweek when we sent out like a shocking team and got beat, um, I'd got like, I'd been in the crowd then, like I'd been getting, like I'd just been, I'd been in so many like of those kind of games. And I just remember, I remember Gary Glenn scored the season before in the Scottish cup. I yeah, think I remember when he rounded out, the yeah. keeper. I remember being in the crowd being like, Oh, how good would it be to be like Gary Glenn? Like I was like my mate. <laughs> I just remember being like, I want to like experience that. Do you mean, I want to be on the pitch when, when we beat Hibs um, and like, again, going back to like Darren Murray, he used to just drill that into us from like the get go. Um, you know, he was like the one, even in 19s games, he used to say when you're in the first team, like that's just, so you can have a shocking season, but if you always beat Hibs, then you always get like a little bit of leeway. Yeah. And you do get that with the crowd. And even like this season, you know, like the best moments for hearts this season have been the derbies and, I think it's so important that you do win those games because it does buy you a little bit of time and if you do play well in it. So for me as a young player, um, coming in and my first goal being in there was yeah, it was pretty special and, and one that I look back on with, you know, really fond memories. Rudy Scatchel rounded off the scoring in that game. Mm-hmm. Now we were we were just speaking about about Rudy um in our last show. Obviously a hearts legend, um what was he like as a as a as a player, as a person, as a teammate? He was like that cool cat that you wanted to be like, but you just weren't. <laughs> That's probably the best. Like he used to just score bombs. Like, like even in that game, it was like a, I think it gets taken for granted. It's like a half volley on the run, mm-hmm. last couple of minutes. Like, he, and he just zinged it straight in, and then just you know, coolly runs across like bows to the Hibs fans and like, do you know what I mean? And then you see the clip towards me at the end, and I'm just running arms everywhere like shouting about looking like a loser and he's just super cool like his long hair he's just a cool dude and um yeah just like a a, a type of player that was the model professional very rarely injured um always stayed back at training like all the cliches as such but um you know just knew his craft knew what he was good at and just honed in on it and um you know was so successful for himself and, and for hearts but was he never injured because he didn't do much running? <laughs> Sometimes it felt like that when he was playing on my side as a fullback. But um, 
yeah, he was a, he was a good guy. He used to call me kangaroo. Um, that was like he's, he still calls me that now on Instagram. So he used to say before games, especially at Tyne Castle, he'd be like, <laughs> if he was playing my side, he'd be like, kangaroo, pass me the ball and then run around the outside. About yeah, cool. Like I'll do that. And he goes, I'll, I probably won't pass it to you. I'll, I'll shoot. <laughs> but if you if you don't run around, then I won't get the space to shoot. So you, you just run around. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll do that. And then temps would be like, wait, if they swap, temps would be on the other side. And he'd be like, yeah, do the same. I'm like, nah, nah. <laughs> no, you pass me that ball when you come on my side. But yeah, he was just he was just a good player and. and I think loads of players have spoke, especially at Tynecastle. We always knew, even if it were like one nil down or it was nil nil, you you could let him away with that type of stuff because he did work hard for the team and he he had you know great footballing knowledge and he just had that knack of of scoring goals and um, like his record's incredible for a midfielder. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, like he is an attacking midfielder slash winger to have scored. I think it was one in two in his heart's yeah. career over a hundred games is is incredible and um yeah you know if he was if he could do that when he was younger those types of players go for a lot of money trivia question that a lot of people wouldn't get harry kane made his spurs debut against hearts and also had a penalty saved by jamie mcdonald you played in that game you didn't play in the home thumping 5-0 when gareth bale Mm -hmm. gave everyone a run around so so you're not responsible what was White Hart Lane and Harry, a young Harry Kane playing against him like? Yeah, that was good. I think we were the only team to keep a clean sheet at um, yep. White Hart Lane that year. So, yeah, it was good. We were kind of sent like a a, a jobby team, you could probably say. It was like a, a second eleven because I'm pretty sure we played Hibs at the weekend. Um, you did. You want to know, yep, because Ryan Stevenson and Andy Webster scored. Yeah, and I wasn't involved. Um, I was not even on the bench. So that was still kind of that stage where I was like in and out of the team. Um, I remember I, I remember Gordon Smith hit the crossbar at White Hart Lane. Um, but yeah, I just remember like there was that whole buzz of, you know, we got Tottenham, um, you know, in the Europa League and everyone was buzzing about it. And it's probably good that we played first, well, first game at home. Everyone thought, oh, you know, you never know, could get a chance. But it also meant that like everyone was buzzing for that away game. Even though we got beat 5-0, it was like the fans were like, I'm sure we packed out that, that um, little they gave us, that we had. Yeah, they, they gave us more tickets. I remember being right behind the goal when Harry Kane had his penalty saved. That's not normally what, what you would get. I mean, yeah. if you remember back then, it was just the, the corner bit. Um, but I think Hearts had asked for a little bit more tickets and, and were given them as well. Yeah, I'm sure. I think it's like four or five thousand that, yep. that we took down. And, um, yeah, like crazy Scottish fans. Like we Jammer saved that penalty and it was like a goal. Everyone <laughs> was just going mental, and it was just it was good for us young players that played or, or got that type of experience. And um, yeah, like you said, I think a lot of players got kind of left out of that game that wanted to play. I'm sure Blackie. <laughs> I'm sure Blackie was in the stands. I don't think he was even on the bench, but they were like kind of keeping him for the derby at the weekend. But you know, for me, it was another a great game um, to play in. And I've always said that. You know, I've been very lucky in my Hearts career, in you know, terms of probably the last say 15 years. If you ask any Hearts fan, you know, then maybe their top 10 games. I reckon I probably feature in in all 10 of them probably in in terms of of games and atmospheres and and big games so I've been very lucky in, in that in that sense and I think that's why people 
think that I played a lot more games for Hearts than I actually probably did. That includes the Gretna game at Far Park, doesn't it? Yeah, it was my debut, so that was a, an added bonus. And yeah, like that, my Hearts career played against Barcelona, Tottenham, Liverpool, won a Scottish Cup, beat Celtic at Hamden. Um, yeah, you know, done playing a lot of good games and, and big games that um, not many people get to play in. And like I said earlier, games that you know people really, really remember and and like almost encourages them to go because it could be another of what if moments um, it's fu- which is what brings everyone back it's funny when you think about I'm just thinking about it now your debut and probably your your best game um or the, the most uh, memorable um you, there were in opposition there were future premier league players english premier league players in opposition so can you name the two players one who played for gretna one who played for hibs um, that went on to play in the Premier League down south? Gretna would be the goalie? No, no he was the right back. Ooh. <sighs> Threw me there. I remember Ky- that, I think that Skelton scored, didn't he? He did yeah. late on, yeah. yeah. Uh, Kyle Norton was oh. the player. Oh, uh, who went? That's... Yep, he went on to play in the Premier League and the Champions now at Swansea. Who was the player that played for Hibs that's now playing for one of the the top ten teams in the English Premier League? Matt Doherty. Yep. Driver took him to the cleaners that day, didn't he? He did. <laughs> Ripped him up for our paper that one. That brings us to the end of part one of our interview with Ryan McGowan. The second part of this episode will be available in the next 24 hours as we speak to Ryan about the rest of that memorable cup winning season and what came next in his career. Thank you for tuning in and we'll be back for part two of our Ryan McGowan special very soon. He was alive.